everybody! Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And I'm Josh. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. And Josh. And Josh. That's right. And me. That's right. That was so ink-synchronous, Zach. That was really bad. <laughs> that was well, like the worst intro. We bring Josh from the far fields of Western America. and Don't tell. He... I live in the glove box of your car, okay? That's where, that's where <laughs> yeah. I've been hiding all these years. Well, Wait, we have a car? <laughs> <laughs> the Classic Brothers car. That's how it, it works, it right? It is the Classic Brothers car. My best friend's the instruction manual. <laughs> oh, and, and, and just so you know, Josh... Years. Uh, just so you know, Josh, now that you are here, you can't leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're stuck in the Classic Gaming Brothers studio because yep. someone took oh, away the man. exits. Yep, there's no exits. Also, it's a vacant building. There is one light, and our producer, Doug, sits over there and uh, stares at us menacingly. If you need a picture of producer Doug in your head, just think of JJJ from Spider-Man with a cigar. You know, you say that now, your listeners, are. I'm, gonna, I'm going to record stuff separately just to be like, hey! I'm still here. I'll just like kind of oh, yelling yeah, in the background sure. and you could just edit it in intermittently <laughs> yeah, throughout yeah. the episodes. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> well, we are joined by Josh. Josh is with Still Loading uh, Podcast. Josh, you want to introduce yourself to the, to the listeners and tell us a bit about you and your podcast? Yeah, so thank you for having me on, guys. I am Josh, the host of the Still Loading Podcast. It is a video game podcast that I kind of describe as a gaming grab bag style of show. I do interviews, I do deep dives, I do just whatever weird ideas come into my head. I've done episodes. For example, I did an episode called the Final Fantasy Fantasy Draft, which is what happens when you take fantasy sports and Final Fantasy and mash them up together. Um, I That's actually my second one. I did one last year as well, and uh, it was fun. I actually had the listeners vote on who won the draft because that's the whole you know it's a whole long thing i'm, I'm going to save the whole spiel for it but you don't need to know fantasy sports at all to enjoy the draft it's just if you like final fantasy i guarantee you will like the episode and other you know i interview voice actors i've had david k on i've had elizabeth seda who does the voice of riley in oxen free too oh yeah okay so yeah it, i kind of do a bit of everything um in the last weird episode this is an old episode and i definitely want to kind of redo it a little bit differently but i did an episode called still loading story time where me and a couple friends did dramatic readings of old video game manuals. A buddy of mine did an Alex Jones impression while reading <laughs> Clash of Demon Head. <laughs> That's so good. That was pretty that fantastic. Like, well, next time you do that, you should uh, invite us over. I'll let uh, you know. I'll, let uh, you. I'll, I'll get out of my glove box. Just to, I'll invite you into the glove box, I should say. Oh, it's going to be tight. Well, thank you for joining us. And and as always, with our episodes, we get into our recently plays. And Josh, you being the guest, it is, uh, of course, on you to uh, tell us what you've recently been playing. Uh, so I've recently been playing a few games. I've been playing Yakuza 0 intermittently. I've been working my way through that because I uh, reached out to a potential guest for my show and they suggested that game. I'm like, I've never played a Yakuza game. I would love to. So I've been steadily working my way through that, even though it's a very long game and it's going to be a while till I finish it. And I've also been playing games called Simulacra, um, which are phone games. Have you guys ever heard of them before? It sounds familiar to me, but I don't think I've played them. Well, Simulacra is an actual like, I don't know if it's, I don't know what part of folklore it's from, but Simulacra are a bunch of found phone horror games where essentially when you buy and download the game and the game screen on your phone mimics a phone and so in the first game you find this girl's phone and she has gone missing so you have to look through her phone to talk to her contacts to try to find out what happened to her and how to get the phone back to her and how to save her but it, a simulacra it almost it's a copy of something and so in these games i have played the first 
two, there's three total, and well, there's four total technically. There's the first two, and then there's Simulacra Pipe Dreams, which is kind of like an intermediate between one and two. And the, the stories so far don't connect. I mean, I've beaten all three, but they don't really connect other than the, the themes kind of connect. And so each of these games kind of examine our relationship with our digital avatars, like our the Simulacra of ourselves, like what we present, the imitation of ourselves that we present online. And each game kind of focuses on a different aspect of like different kinds of interactions. The the second one, for example, focuses a lot on influencer culture that you see on like Instagram and TikTok and all those other social media sites and talking about the type of people and the, the type of things that people do for their fame. It's interesting. It, it was really interesting. It's a decent horror game, even though I'm not really a huge horror fan. This is like my speed of horror where there's not a lot of jump scares, just a lot of just kind of mystery. It's, it's fun. I really enjoyed playing it and uh, I'm going to be guesting on another show to talk about it so I can't go too much more into my thoughts with it but it's a really fun game I was happy with buying them you said it's a phone game but do you play it on your phone yes you can actually get them all on Steam if you want oh, to oh nice nice that's what I like to play I'll be honest it doesn't have the same impact it kind of feels nice. a lot better playing it on your phone because it, it adds that level yeah. of immersion to it it's the first two you can buy on, on off like Android and iPhone like you can get them and it's worth it in my opinion they're fun they're short games too only like three to five hours a piece so it's and there's multiple endings so it encourages you to replay and try new things now, i have not played all the endings yet i actually have to do some i mean they're going to replay a few of them or just watch the endings on youtube but yeah i've been playing that and uh yakuza zero those are all games for the show so far nothing if i'm not playing something for the show i'm usually playing minecraft while i edit episodes because that's kind of mindless and it's it's something to while i'm going through everything it helps me kind of focus a little bit yeah. or uh age of empires 2 definitive edition the simulacra the people who made it i was just looking up the reason i have heard of them is they did a doctor who game in the same style oh really yeah based on the like weeping angel characters called the lonely assassin that's where i'd heard of them because i'm a big doctor who fan so that's why i was like oh i was like okay now i know who they're got a hoovy in here ah yes you got a hoovy in here just one I'm the I'm not against Doctor Who. Doesn't it's morally into a political statement. I'm anti Doctor yeah. Who. Well, I'm pro Doctor Who. Well, uh, Seth, what have you been recently playing? So recently, I've been playing an expansion pack for the game Case of the Golden Idol. The expansion pack was the Lemurian Vampire. This game was developed by Color Gray Games and published by Playstack and released back on August 31st, 2023. It puts three more mysteries into the Case of the Golden an idle game very similar to the spider of lanka expansion pack which added three more cases which generally adds about two to three more hours worth of content depending on how smart you are so if you're zach you probably got about 10 more hours of content sweet it's a continuation of the style of the game where you solve mablib type murders and it's great i love it i love the art style of the format it is unfortunately going to be their last expansion so fortunately it sounds like they are moving on to something else which is great because i'm looking forward to what that studio can put together especially if it's more murder mystery adventure type games it looks like a lucas arts game it does but it plays like a more advanced find it game right so you have the find it games where you have to find different things so in the case of the golden idol you have to find words within the game and you have to build up a repertoire of words that maybe describe people's names or weapons or may describe certain actions or adverbs and then you have to solve a number of mad libs equal to what you're viewing and the view doesn't change from what you originally see as in as you go in it's just like um 
a moment in time. Kind of like if you played Abra Din by Lucas Pope, which just like frozen in time and you have to figure out what happened during this time and maybe what led up to this time, what happened after this time. And every case is a death. So you have to figure out who died, how they died. And also you have to figure out who are all these people and put names to people and figure out timelines. And it's very, if you like thinking games, 100% recommend it. It's also pretty cheap. I think it's like, they'll probably do a full pack for like 20 bucks. But I think it's each of the expansions is like five bucks. And then the the MSRP for the first game is like 15 or 20. Uh, It's great. I love it. But yeah, so yeah, that's uh, the Lemurian Vampire. Hopefully, I feel like Color Gray Games, because the way the game is set up, hopefully they have like a good engine where they can just push out more games faster. So hopefully we'll see something soon from them. But being that they just released an expansion pack, unless they were like developing the other new game on side of the expansion, then which I don't think they were because I think they're a pretty small house, then we will hopefully we'll see something from them soon. And Zach, what have you been uh, recently been playing? Yeah, so I've been playing actually a mod for one of my favorite real-time strategy games, Star Wars Galactic I Battlegrounds. I love this game. I didn't know there was mods. Sorry, I didn't mean no, to you no, I just had fine. to say I love this game. Sorry, continue. So this mod is called Expanding Fronts, and it is a pretty neat mod. I, I actually am really excited that I found it because I googled uh, Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds resolution patches because the game, it looks awful when you buy it from GOG. <laughs> so it, I, I have it on Steam. It's like just the base game that's ported. Like, I think the best you can get, I forget what it was. It's bad. It's not a HD though. It nope. looks awful. Yep. So uh, Expanding Fronts, uh, not only is a mod that helps patch some of the resolution so you can get a nice uh, full view on your you know 1920 by 1080p monitor but also it adds in a whole bunch of stuff um, specifically it adds in a ton of new factions such as uh, Black Sun New Republic First Order and a couple other factions that they've added like sub factions like there's Geonosians which are separate from the Confederacy mm. and along with that there's some improvements to visuals they fixed a couple of uh, different graphics that were in the game that didn't look that great so they fixed those there's also other tweaks that they've done i think there was there seems to be an ai tweak when i was playing a custom campaign against the black sun they did some tactics that i wasn't familiar with the old ai doing so that was kind of winning neat. they did this one thing that i noticed newer age of empires ai does which is they set up troop facilities in like random spots on the map um so that it's harder to wipe each one of them out so they can continue to build an army um but older ai for age of empires does not do that (laughs) so um and i assume older ai for galactic battlegrounds doesn't i haven't played in a while like the old one besides this mod there's also some map overhauls and they added new hero units to the editor so you could put in uh episode three version of anakin you could put in ahsoka any of the characters from the new movies are added in and it's it's neat. I, I really like it. There, there isn't a lot of uh, new campaigns to play. There's the Battle of Jakku, which is pretty cool. And then there's kind of a test campaign that they just left in the files for some reason. But what it does do is it allows you to kind of build out a lot more stuff using the editor, um, which I always loved playing with as a kid. I loved playing in the editor and making my own little maps, even if they were terrible. So maybe I'll do that again. But yeah, it's Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds Expanding Fronts. It originally was released in 2016, but the most recent update came out in June of this year. So it's a kind of constantly evolving awesome. mod i'm gonna have to look into that yeah and it's pretty simple to install so once you download uh galactic battlegrounds either to steam or to gog 
um, you download Expanding Fronts, you pretty much just need to drop some files into the base folder and it gives you a new executable that you launch the game from there. And you got to make sure to launch the game from the new executable and not from your Steam menu because that will crash. Well, at least it doesn't start and just play the old version. So then you know you're doing something wrong. Yeah, it just it will just it will crash immediately. But the um, new executable will launch and have all the updates and stuff. I literally will probably check that out after we're done recording tonight. The thing I love, though, about Galactic Battlegrounds specifically is my history with it. So we had a copy of it on like CD that and clone campaigns that I used to play a bunch. And back in high school, early freshman year of college, my friends all got Age of Empires on Steam and they were like, oh, Zach, want to play Age of Empires with us? And I was like, I have never played Age of Empires 2. I would love to play Age of Empires with you guys. And when we launched into it, I was like, this game is so familiar. <laughs> and I was like, why is this game so familiar? And I never realized growing up that Galactic Battlegrounds is just a skin of Age of Empires, basically. It's like, literally just Age of Empires. Actually, arguably a slightly inferior. I don't know about every aspect of it, but in Age of Empires, you can build a mining camp to mine both gold and ore. It doesn't differentiate, but in Galactic Battlegrounds, you have one for Nova Crystals and for the whatever, the purple. I think it's also called ore. It's called ore, yeah. Nova Crystals, ore, and then there's uh, carbon, which is the trees. I feel like it definitely came out during a time period where companies were just doing that where they were like we'll reskin this and then sell it as an entirely different product and do zero honestly work. i think galactic battlegrounds is great oh yeah as yeah. do i i mean i think sometimes a reskin works as its own separate game and i think it works for this oh, like the 100%. units are different enough it also added air which age of empires did not have yeah yeah it's great to send a bombing run onto the enemy just like hundreds of tie bombers mm-hmm. flying in <laughs> over the horizon just dropping everything so we brought josh on for a couple of reasons. Number one reason is because he's a James Bond specialist. He's crafted a grand knowledge on all things James Bond, specifically video games. And also he attended Retro World Expo with Zach. I did not attend Retro Make it sound like we went together, but we met each other. I know, we met in passing (laughs) for for like five seconds. You attended with Zach (laughs) and you became me, Josh, at that moment. So we haven't talked about Retro World Expo. Um, so it was a little while ago, but now we'll use this time to talk about it with two people that actually went. <laughs> Great. Well, yeah. So Josh, you were at Retro World Expo just a few weeks ago. Uh, was that your first time at Retro World Expo? It was. I had never been to Retro World. So most cons I go to are, I, I'm from Pennsylvania. So most of the cons I go to are here and, um, I don't really get to go travel too much, especially now that I'm a parent. So my wife was nice enough to watch the kid for me as I got to travel for an entire weekend. I, I got there in one day, but I was there from Friday and left Sunday. That's actually why I couldn't see your panel, Zach, because I had to drive home that same night so i could be at work the next day that's fine they kind of they kind of shafted me with that time slot to be honest yeah (laughs) so i really enjoyed the con but i will say i think their setup for the panels is awful yeah one there is no security not that the people are going to like you know charge you or anything like that but like the fact that technically no one has to pay to see a panel there's no one checking badges when you go up the escalator for it you can just walk up there and freaking just walk into a panel i thought that was kind of amusing 
confusing, but I think my my bigger issue is just the locations of it. It doesn't really promote anyone to find your panel, yeah. and like if they're just doing like passing by type of thing. It's it would be a lot more interesting if it was at least kind of on the, if there was stuff on the same floor with it, and then you know as people are walking around and exploring, like oh what's this? Yeah, then walk in. Yeah. You have to be very deliberate to go see a panel yeah. at Retro World Expo, and I, I was kind of bummed about about that. I'm not. I understand like it, it, it's already hard enough to get people to come see panels as it is especially if you're hosting one but now you have one where it's like you have to advertise to everyone while you're there which is kind of not fun i want to go and hang out with people i don't want to have to advertise my my panel right you know yeah. so that that's really my only true criticism of the con the rest of it i loved it i had a great time though i did see on the way over here there was a dude on my first day there i had the holiday inn across the street okay and I, you have to walk across the bridge to get oh. over to the convention center and yeah. there was a dude smoking weed out of a coke can yeah just i was like welcome to hartford josh here we go yeah. he wasn't there the next day though but so that that was like my first introduction to it though i actually had friends who were vendors at the con and they were on the same floor as i was and apparently there was some dude screaming in his room till three o'clock in the morning that night so they had to change rooms at 3 a.m after they had driven even farther than i did they were driving from oh, like no. virginia or maryland or something like that they had to drive all the way up there within one day have all of their stuff for the booth and then not even get any sleep because there's a dude screaming in his room at like two o'clock in the morning man harford harford's a harford is sure a city yeah no i liked it too i have the same kind of complaint with the panels um the only way you would know about them unless you decided to walk up to the third floor where the panels are where there is nothing else but panels is if you pick up the pamphlet they're listed but there's no like banners anywhere that's like oh panels upstairs if there was like a printout i think i saw that yeah. just said panels and that's it but uh did you end up uh picking up anything in particular and uh like what was what was your biggest score i guess for the weekend well i didn't get to spend too much i didn't get i didn't come with a big budget because my wife and i are saving up for a house so i'm a collector on a budget right now um but i did pick up a friend of mine who was a I had a couple vendor friends there. My one friend gave me a copy of on the Game Boy Advance of Everything or Nothing, which nice. is a, a James Bond yeah. game, kind of apropos. Um, I also picked up a copy of Zillion for the Sega Master System, a complete in-box copy oh, of sweet. Zillion, which is kind of like a, a bit of a Metroid-ish type of game. Yeah. For, it's not like Metroid, but it's the closest thing the Master System had. Then I, I mentioned uh, to you both off mic, I do a Captain N series on my show. Well, Ian James Corlett does the voice of Dr. Wiley in Captain oh, yeah. and the Game Master, and Ian James Corlett was there. And I got him to sign my Still Loading Podcast uh, Captain N shirt in my merch. I'm not trying to promote my crap no, there. No, but that's I, fine. You promote it. But I got him to sign it because eventually I would like to get all the voice actors to sign it. I also have on there Venus Terzo, who's the voice of Princess Alana. So that's really all I got. I got Zillion. Oh, sorry. And one other thing, which I actually think is also right behind me. I got from uh, my buddy, I'm going to shout out his YouTube channel, Rewind Arcade. He does a lot of good video game history stuff. He did like a bunch of retrospectives on like Ghost and Goblins. And um, he actually was featured on the Video Game History Hour podcast, uh, the, the Video Game History Foundation's podcast. He sells imports at a lot of cons. He had Chrono Trigger trading cards oh, that sweet. you got 
for pre-ordering Chrono Trigger in Japan back when it came out in the mid-90s. So anyone who pre-ordered Chrono Trigger in Japan in the 90s got a collectible card, and he had a couple of them, so I had a few bucks left over, so I bought one. Nice. I probably stopped at his booth. There was a couple of really good vendors selling import stuff there. Him and his wife are super nice. They're awesome people. I'm hoping to actually have him on my show at some point whenever I actually beat the game we're going to talk about. It's very cool. I ended up picking up the most expensive thing I bought was I literally came there with like I was like I'm walking away from this convention with this I don't care what I pay for it is uh Tenjin Tetris to go with my oh yeah. <laughs> how much did you end up do you want to say yeah no say I don't mind it, it was um I think I I think it was going for 130 I think I paid 120 and then the other thing I grabbed was I would show it on camera but it's like out of arm reach is uh, a supervision console oh um it's okay not working so I got a decent deal on it it like t- powers on the games work but the screen acts up so I think it might be a capacitor issue and I'm going to try to do a little repair work on it but I ended up paying with a whole bunch of games that I grabbed for it uh $60 with that and like seven eight games uh that go with it I've always wanted a supervision they're kind of on the outer end of uh game consoles and I like my obscurities so those are the those are the two big grabs I actually had to look it up so it's a it's a handheld system yeah it's kind of like a competitor to the Game Boy but not one that did very well um it was like see that they were kind of going for like the the like we have Game Boy at home crowd (laughs) So it was like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like the like the Tiger Electronics type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the games are a bit more complex than that, but at the same time, they're also not. <laughs> they're they're pretty basic games. If you're interested in seeing the things that we are talking about, Zach shared his Retro World Expo hall on our Instagram, and we'll include Josh's socials and his shop and website and all that jazz also down and below for links. Oh, thank you. If you want want a captain n shirt you can buy yeah. a captain n shirt well speaking of of your content i got to check out a pretty thorough breakdown that you did of the james bond games in your panel and i loved it i thought it was great you touched upon a lot of games that i hadn't heard of and games that i had heard of and that i love and uh was there any reason that you picked james bond in particular so james bond for a few reasons one i'm a gigantic james bond fan you know yes there's lots of problematic stuff in especially the older bond films uh extremely problematic but i still i I love the series nonetheless because it has grown with the times i love the series even in the movies that have the some of the most heinous stuff in it like the stuff i find enjoyment is like the fashion the set design the some of the acting choices is are really interesting so i do i also do a james bond podcast for my patreon called still bonding nice and we've been going through once a month just covering a bond movie going through the connery era i was like i always remember here you know oh connery's like this amazing bond and he is but when i first watched it i didn't quite fully appreciate it until i really sat down with a purpose to dissect it and then it was it was fun so giant james bond fan i i mean i do it for my show i've been a bond fan for years and I'm also a big video game fan, hence my own podcast. And I decided to kind of combine the two. And the reason I chose this is because there's a perception I feel that there wasn't really any other James Bond games before GoldenEye and no good ones since GoldenEye. And that is just not true. Like flat out, 
not true. I, I said on the panel, it's kind of a hot take. GoldenEye is not even the best Bond game on the N64, in my opinion. The world is not enough. One of the that's, that's my favorite Bond movie, actually. It was the first one I ever saw. Take it or leave it with Denise Richards as a nuclear physicist named Christmas Jones. To be fair, Bond has had worse names for characters. <laughs> there is in I'm actually going to be covering it. I have to find a time to do the recording session for it, but in A View to a Kill, he calls himself James Sinjin Smythe, uh, but if you keep on subtitles, closed captioning, it's actually St. John Smythe, but he goes, Sinjin Smythe. <laughs> so By the way, the name is Sinjin Smythe, James Sinjin Smythe. So yes, I, I chose this panel topic because big fan of James Bond, big fan of the games, and I think there is a lot of interesting history to talk about. And I don't know how far how far into the panel were you when you when you stopped in, Zach. I don't know. Were you there from the beginning? I, or? So I had to go grab my my equipment for for my panel because my panel is uh, right after yours. And yes, I think you were covering Live and Let Die at the time when I got in. So I I missed like a couple of the earlier early stuff so um, that makes me happy so i know listeners you won't be able to see this but i started the panel off with talking about not a james bond video game but the james bond tabletop role-playing rpg yes that is a literal D. I shouldn't say a D&D clone, but it's essentially D&D with James Bond. The the thing that I'm showing uh, Zach and Seth, I got at a convention and it actually comes with a full on basics book like oh, it uh, like so a good. thick like couple hundred page book like 150 pages of rules on how to play this game and uh some dice and i don't think anyone's touched this because i have a whole stack of unused character sheets oh wow nice it's awesome. wild so i started off with that because tabletop role-playing games obviously have a huge impact on video games but also i think you might have missed this whole thing so there that, that ties in with a, a big aspect of video Video games and James Bond in ways that you might not expect. So, you know, I, I talked about a bunch of uh, the older games, but there's a two James Bond text adventure games. Yeah. One is A View to a Kill, mm-hmm. and the other is Goldfinger. Both are written by a guy named Raymond Benson, and I don't know if you got to hear my whole Raymond Benson rant. I don't think all. so. So, Raymond Benson was, it, well, he, well, not was, he is, he's still alive. Had him on the podcast, actually, <laughs> super nice guy. He wrote those games. He wrote the text adventures for A View to a kill and goldfinger he also wrote a module for that james bond tabletop oh, rpg amazing that's not where his association with the games industry ends this guy has his fingers in a lot more than you're expecting in both gaming and in bond so he does goldfinger he ends up working on a little known series called ultima he was the lead writer of ultima 7 nice. <laughs> um, he also worked on a bunch of other like point and click and adventure horror games for pc he did dark seed 2 he oh. did he did are you afraid of the dark uh, he did i it's problematic to say now but it is a title of a book indian in the cupboard oh yeah, yeah um he did that he did the game version of that after doing those bond games he had his hands in some pretty big parts of the game industry yeah. like oh, i don't know i don't know how ultima 7's ultimately been received in the fan base but he worked on an ultima game which is one of the most important game franchises of all time seth he wrote return of the phantom oh did that's he? one of oh, that's one Amazing. of seth's and my favorite point and click adventure games by micro really? yeah return of the phantom yeah. okay so his game credits stop in the mid 90s yeah 
because he became the official James Bond author licensed by the Ian Fleming estate, where he wrote novelizations of Tomorrow Never Dies, The World Is Not Enough, and Die Another Day, as well as a handful of original novels. I have not read any of them, but he was the official James Bond author for a number of years. He's not done there. After he was done that, he has written novelizations and original stories based off some of our favorite game franchises. He did the novelizations of Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2. He did original stories from Splinter Cell, Hitman, Homefront, Metal Gear Solid. There's Assassin's Creed, I think he even did one or two on. I'd have to double check on, but he has had his fingers in and out of Bond and video games in one way or another. I think his last like game novelization was in like the early 2010s. Like it's not like it's only like a decade ago or so that he hasn't since he's like worked on something video game related. And it's, it's funny because that this we were talking off mic about like going down rabbit holes of things you weren't really expecting. He's exactly what I'm talking about. And the whole thing started because before I even started doing research for my panel, I was interested in going down this James Bond gaming rabbit hole. And I, I saw these text adventures. I'm like, who wrote these text adventures? And saw Raymond Benson. And the rest is kind of history from there. Like I just discovered all this stuff. I'm like, wow, this dude. And no one knows who he is. Like no one's ever really heard of him. Yeah. Except for James Bond fans, because he actually wrote a book in like the early 80s. I want to say 82 or 83 called the James Bond Bedside Companion. And it was the first type of like fan book of Bond. And it was actually noticed by the Ian Fleming Foundation, which that got him in touch with them, which helped him kind of kickstarted his whole career pretty much just by writing this Bedside Companion. So very nice dude. I I had him on the show. He was awesome. He told some cool stories, which I I won't share here because not because I want you to listen to my show, but if you guys get him on, then your listeners can hear he could repeat the stories <laughs> <Yeah>. exactly <laughs> so don't listen to it on my show wait till they get oh him. no i mean get listen to the both and as you can tell listener josh is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to james bond games <laughs> necessary and, amount in in history so that's why we definitely want to bring him on i i mean both movies and games i'm holding myself back from spewing off a bunch of unnecessary random fun facts about no, the stunt, right about stunts and oh, other stuff that's fine i so we did an episode on goldeneye um at some point in time in our history because that you know that game hits on a specific nostalgia Mm -hmm. lever for a number of people i also really like robbie coltrane and so he's uh, obviously valentine Valentine within uh, in in goldeneye so we uh, also played a lot of that game with our father uh, so it has fond memories of us being like odd job and yeah, stuff like race, that. Seth racing to get odd job when we started the and game. And turning, turning off, off the auto aim. Uh, GoldenEye is arguably the most important Bond game, period. I also think it's the most overrated, but that I feel like that's a little bit of uh, that connotation I don't think is entirely accurate to what GoldenEye did. Like, because everyone talks about how great GoldenEye was, and it was. Like, multiplayer is fantastic. So many, I, I have a bunch of nostalgia for it too. I have a bunch of memories of it. But it is still a little rough around the edges when you play it now, yeah. especially with modern controls and modern graphics that you're used to. It's it's a lot. It's a it's a lot to get through. It's almost emblematic of the movie, right? Because Goldeneye, it's a great movie, but it's also it is is rough around the edges in some places when revisiting it. Uh, I mean, yes. and it is kind of it was that return to James Bond, that return to form, and you know it has that kind of rough around the edges feel to it, uh, where you can tell Pierce Brosnan's first time as James Bond does a great job, but he hasn't quite gotten his 
his you know nice shoes polished yet at times and uh, I, th- I feel like he kind of really hits it home when it, when it comes to the next few movies that he was in especially world's not enough and uh, tomorrow never dies i thought those are where he really shines as bond i think brosnan is one of the better actors as bond with the exception I, i'm going to steal a uh, an observation from the james bonding podcast his hurt acting is very awkward yeah. he like juts his lower jaw out and he like like blows out his jowls he's like yeah yeah it's it's it's, it's silly <laughs> it's very goofy there is a weird thing i've noticed i it's <laughs> a weird topic none of the james bonds and i noticed it with pierce brosden which is how this ties into everything none of the james bonds i feel like actually know how to kiss sean connery was so forceful roger moore looked like he was sucking out their souls i don't remember timothy dalton all that much pierce brosden was very bitey he bit a lot of lips yeah, yeah. Lot, very lippy with his kisses <laughs> yeah but it, it, i think it's interesting that you bring up the point that a golden eye yes is is a very important james bond game but objectively is not a very good james bond game because i was talking about that recently with seth i had recently been playing world's not enough for the n64 which has its problems but i love world's not enough yeah world's not enough is a very good james bond game because it's mm-hmm. very reliant on gadgets something james bond is known for it's very cinematic like literally it goes from an attack on mi6 to you chasing down the terrorist down the street and then immediately goes into the uh the tunnel system where you have to defuse the bomb and it's just very very cinematic type of game whereas goldeneye as a game is james bond running around shooting russians (laughs) and like that's the game (laughs) you know you do a couple of gadgets you use your laser to like cut through the floor in that really frustrating part in the train and you use remote mines that's about it goldeneye looms large because it was the first first person shooter that was really viable on a home console that's why it's arguably the most important bond game not arguably it is the most important bond game and it's important even outside of the genre or the the series of bond games because it showed that first person shooters were viable on a home console where up until that point you really didn't see that like the first true like blowing the walls off like first person shooter on playstation was medal of honor yeah there was other first person shooters you know insomniac games did disruptor yeah it's a solid doom clone but you know at that point people had already played doom they had already played something similar to it goldeneye was something totally new and then in turn medal of honor was something totally new but uh goldeneye rightfully so the nostalgia defines a lot of its legacy yeah and while it doesn't necessarily hold up now i would still never take away people's nostalgia for it because it did something like you don't have the success of halo without goldeneye and i'm not saying that like halo necessarily was influenced from goldeneye i would almost assume it has to be because it was freaking gigantic but like there's a lot of lessons to be learned from goldeneye and i think the world isn't enough it has more varied level variety there's stealth missions there's a lot more use of gadgets like you said there's also the multiplayer has ai bots yeah. in it or as i always thought owl bots because i you know <laughs> i always thought they were owl bots like who's owl then i could think of as like uh owl from like freaking home improvement yeah so it just it, it's super important but i think the best bond game period is nightfire for like the ps2 gamecube xbox you, ever, you guys ever play nightfire i was literally playing nightfire last night in preparation for this podcast i was like i'm gonna play a couple of james bond games that i either a haven't played or haven't played in a while so i played world's not enough for the ps1 which i never played and then i played nightfire and tomorrow never dies 
Skies, and I love Nightfire so much. I almost couldn't stop playing because I was just having such a good time. Was that your first time playing? No, I've, I've, it... I actually own it, but I was playing it emulated just to kind of like sit back and talk to my friends and stuff like that while I played. Mm. But just revisiting that, it was such a good game. I mean, that one was the first one that felt like a Bond movie. They wrote an original song for it yeah. in the same style of that you would see in Bond films with like a cold open mission and then an intro song with like intro credits that you would see like the like you would see in a Bond film. It's not like a phenomenal song, but it's still pretty cool that they actually put the effort into yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. Which um, I've played many Bond games uh, throughout my life. Sometimes they all blend together. <laughs> How did Nightfire start? It's a car sequence. So you're in a helicopter and you have a sniper rifle and you have to shoot out like the tires of these people chasing someone. And then you go from there Dominique. to Russia. <laughs> and then you're in then you're in like a snowy place and you have to sneak into a castle. I liked playing the Bond games and I and I played the game. I, I played them relatively as I grew up. Right. So like as more bonds come out you get older and you play different game iterations of the I game i remember but... you renting nightfire and we played it on dad's ps2 and we yeah, remember doing yeah. multiplayer with that and that was a pretty solid multiplayer experience as well is that the one that has odd job as a multiplayer character and he can throw his hat as one of his attacks i don't remember enough of the multiplayer all i i love the multiplayer in nightfire though i think nightfire had some of the best ps2 era multiplayer just i think like there was so much more weapon variety you could there was different match variety there was like one of my favorites is we had my buddy Justin and I we would uh we had a game mode that we created called two for the price of 10 where basically all it was we picked the smallest level and all explosives so every time you would try to shoot an enemy you would almost inevitably hurt yourself yeah because the because of the explosion radius hence the two for the, you, every two kills you kill yourself 10 times just trying to get them two for the price of 10 oh nice I I think what's interesting about the bond games is that there's just such a variety out there there really is um, yeah. Like when I talked about it in my panel, like that's what blew me away the most is just the variety of games that there were. Like the first one that I discovered that was pre-Goldeneye was James Bond 007 The Duel for the Genesis oh, yeah. Mega Drive. And that's one of the few games that uses Timothy Dalton's likeness in it. And it's also an original story. It's not based off any of the movies, which up until that point, there was really only one other game that used an original story, which was the, the very first one, Shaken Not Stirred, which is most likely unlicensed because you don't fight Jaws, you fight Paws, you don't <laughs> fight Knickknack, you fight Tic Tac. And the villain is Dr. Death, which sounds very Austin Powers. It <laughs> yeah, almost seems yeah. like an Austin Powers fanfic. It was 1982 when that one came out, and that was Richard Shepard's Software came out for the zx spectrum over in the uk yeah it's it's that one's interesting too because that very first game it's one of those it's kind of done in the style like you know how some of those old nes games they don't stick to one gameplay style they'll have like a platforming segment and then like a light gun segment and then a car segment yeah it's kind of like that with this without the light gun segment the first section is almost like it's not quite a text adventure it's it's like you have a, a list of a bunch of locations and like cities and then you have to go to them and either fight some 
enemies using text commands, you know, like then it becomes like text adventure combat for lack of a better term. Or there's an anagram that you have to solve. And once you solve enough anagrams, it gives you hints to the location of Dr. Death's island lair. That's where the second level comes in. And the second level is the island that the lair is located on. And that's a text adventure where you, you know type in go north and bond will go north and so on and so forth. But the third section is a dungeon crawler. It's like a 10 by 10 room that you have to explore. And they have like a faux 3D visuals on your screen of like, you'll see these awful images of like this square face dude and just yeah. says, you ran into paws and stuff like that. It's it's impressive what they tried to do, but it most likely wasn't licensed. Uh, the next game was James Bond 007 for the Atari 2600. It also received a port on the very obscure, oh my gosh, it's the it was a version of the Sega SG-1000 that ha- was manufactured by a specific company. It's the Othello Multivision. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a really obscure game console that only came out in Japan that has like eight total games for it, period. Because it was like when Sega Sega licensed out the SG-1000 design to other companies and the other company changed its name and blah, blah. It's, it's a whole weird thing. But the reason I bring it up, because I actually got this information wrong on the panel, there's a guy who worked at Retro World who watched my panel and I guess he liked it. He's like, hey, I w- I, do you have a second? I'd like to talk to you about it. He was really polite. I'm not even saying this to like be nice to the people at Retro World. Like he was super nice and polite and he he was trying so caring in how he like gave me the constructive criticism, which I very much appreciate because some people can be assholes and he was very much not. His name was Ryan. I said I thought this was a game that was not meant to be a James Bond game, but they slapped the Bond license on it, which shows up later on. I'm I'm you know, there's too many games for us to go through all of them, especially with oh, yeah, how long yeah, we've yeah. been going already. I wanted to at least shout this out because this one was meant to be a James Bond game, but what happened is Parker Brothers owned the license to it, and the first developer they contacted to do it, they contracted to do it, just wasn't getting it done. And so they reached out to a different group of developers, and they said, hey, we need this out by this time. What can you do within this time frame? And so all this James Bond game is, is you control a vehicle, and you go from left to right, and you jump over things and dodge bullets and you have to get to an endpoint. It's pretty much just a dodging game. There's not much to it. So I'm looking at that. Uh, I see a little blurb here. Apparently the original name for the game, if it had been developed by that previous company, Western Technologies, was going to be James Bond 007 Essene and Octopussy, which is a mouthful of a name. <laughs> and I like the fact that they're like, hey, it's James Bond from that movie. <laughs> That's out. That's a James Bond movie. <laughs> <laughs> One of the worst named Bond films of all time too yeah yeah that's i mean it's not surprising with like some of the bond girl names which i i won't repeat i'll i'll say i'll spare your listeners fair enough fair enough yeah and obviously there there's definitely way too many james bond games and there's a total of 10 of them that came out before goldeneye and for the n64 <laughs> and actually the, the, those are just the ones and you listed that's just there's the listed like, ones yeah there's one just called 007 car chase from 1985 that one was weird there is also this is probably one of the stranger ones. In 1991, I want to say, there was a package bundle of basically you could buy a ZX Spectrum 2 Plus. It came bundled with three different James Bond games. Two of them were original, and one of them was just a re, uh, basically a, a renamed version of, uh, I think it was Living Daylights. It was just a renamed version of Living Daylights. The two original games for it were just light gun games. It was like Lord Brown 
Bromley's Estate and Q's Armory, and both of them were just different types of light gun games. It, it's weird because there's so many different things that there, there's just so many games before GoldenEye. I personally think GoldenEye is the first like one that still remotely holds up well today though some of them are from what i understand like the living daylights is a decent top-down shooter so is licensed to kill james bond stealth affair that one's super interesting because that was another example of a bond game that was not intended to be a bond game it was actually just called the stealth affair and they slapped the bond license onto it in north america oh, but it's actually like a lucasarts-esque point-and-click adventure game oh. developed by delphine software who did out of this world oh neat oh that's cool the Eric I, Chahi game. Do you know what it was supposed to be before it became a James Bond game? It was basically a James Bond clone, and you can tell because James Bond works for the CIA in this game, oh. not MI6. I actually wrote down the name of the character that Bond was going to be based off of. It was like he was known as John Glames. The main character in the non-Bond version was John Glames, and he worked for the CIA. And when they slapped the Bond license on it in North America, they changed it to James Bond, but never changed the CIA portion. So he still works oh. for the CIA. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is the James Bond from that episode of climax from the 1950s where it was barry nelson as james bond the american <laughs> the, the, the made for tv casino royale movie with jimmy bond with jimmy bond maybe with that's jim the follow-up yeah, yeah. Jim bond. maybe that's the, it's the maybe it's that canon <laughs> or could also be never say never again ah very long story short early in bond history ian fleming was writing a screenplay with this guy named kevin mcclory it was the screenplay of thunderball when that fell through he decided to turn it into a book and not credit McClory. Understandably, McClory was pissed and started suing him to no end. And without going through all of the ins and outs and all the different battles that came to be, in the early 80s, McClory won the rights to be able to make his own Bond film since he helped create Spectre and helped create all these other iconic things in the Bond franchise, but he could only do his version of it again. So like, since he wrote Thunderball, they could only basically remake Thunderball. If he wanted to take James Bond and put him into a different original story he legally could not do that so never say never again is essentially a remake of thunderball basically the same plot uh some character changes but it's still bond that came out in 1983 the same year roger moore's second to last bond film octopussy came out yeah so, it's an odd movie ron atkinson is in that movie and i remember watching it wait, when it was he, on tv and are you serious? yeah he plays a character That's, named nigel small fawcett the foreign office <laughs> representative in the bahamas uh, so i watched never say never again on tv so i've seen the tv cut i was like first of all this is a very weird james bond movie while i was watching it i was like what is happening but then rowan atkinson showed up and i was like no really what is happening because that's johnny english what is he doing here <laughs> the bond girl's name in that movie too is fatima blush yes yeah fatima blush and uh <laughs> max von sydow plays uh ernest blofeld he does a pretty good job if i remember correctly not the classic blofeld he gets dropped from the helicopter <laughs> like down a chimney and then explodes in octopus yeah. Yeah. No, sorry, for your eyes only. Through your eyes only, yeah. Put me down! Put me down! Oh, you want to get up? Mr. Bond! 
Uh, speaking of James Bond silliness, there's, of course, James Bond Jr. Who's actually James Bond's nephew. Yeah, James Bond's nephew, who, uh, that's not how juniors work, but... It makes me very concerned about who gave birth to whom and how someone, <laughs> who fathered whom. I think I made Seth play that. So we do a segment called Retro Rewind, which we kind of modify when we have guests on. During our normal show, I'll give Seth a game and Seth will give me a game. But when we have guests on, we're like, that's too complicated. We'll just have them <laughs> talk about a retro game. <laughs> But I think I gave Seth James Bond Jr. at one point. Uh, you gave me James Pond. I gave you James Pond. Never mind. I was tempted to include James Pond on my uh, on my in my panel, but since that was more of a parody than like something based yeah, off a Bond yeah. franchise, I it was I that's where I kind of drew the line. Did you ever watch the James Bond Jr. show? No, I have not. I've been meaning to because I'm a huge James Bond fan. So I feel like it was even like authorized by like Eon Productions. Like it's officially licensed by the official james bond people so i feel like i should at some point i just haven't gotten around to it yet yeah i remember seeing a clip of it and i was just like this feels very 90s this definitely was like show made to sell toys and one video game 90s well two technically one for the nes and one for the super nintendo and of course we talked about goldeneye and stuff though i know just year after goldeneye one of the best james bond games came out in my opinion james bond 007 for the game boy overlooked criminally overlooked it's a really good zelda clone it is that's not that's not an insult to it that's not trying to like you know make it seem lesser it's it's its own thing it's a zelda clone in terms of almost like the the engine yeah but the actual gameplay mechanics are pretty different than zelda though you still have like the a and b for like your your attack and like action and stuff like that very similar to Link's awakening but it's still it's super unique sorry i you were saying off mic it's one of your personal favorites my experience with it was seth had a cd of emulators that we used to boot up every now and then and he had no money game boy on it and one of the roms that was just included in that set was james bond 007 and as a child i could not get past the first stage because i didn't know how to search um, which you need to do so you could find the hammer so you can have that man rebuild the bridge um but i mm-hmm. still would like play that opening sequence just because i liked the music a lot And I think Seth had a save state that was later in the game and I would just boot to that sometimes. But I was replaying it recently. I was actually replaying it last night and it holds up. Like once you figure out that search mechanic, which did take me another moment, I was like, oh yeah, you have to like stand in a specific place and press B and then you'll pick up an item if it's there. Once I figured that out, I was like, I'm having a good time. Just like going through, you know, you fight the the ballerina lady at one point and then you fight all the, the Kung Fu people with your, your, your block that's super powerful. You can just block any hit and then just punch them and they die sometimes it's a great little james bond game it's well written too yeah it's its own original story isn't it or mm-hmm. yeah yeah because it's not really based on anything it just kind of plays this whole james bond goes to china and deals with a bunch of bunch of stuff i feel like in in the bond movies historically and bond in general usually goes after whatever topical issue is happening in the world around it in the newer films they have gone less geopolitical and gone more for like like individual uh, like for example example like specter with a semi spoiler alert without actually going into any details for it in specter a big crux of the plot is about data privacy and yeah, stuff like that yeah. which that's not really like that's not specific to a country that's a worldwide issue and Qu- 
Quanta was about water. Yes. And they do a good job of making things like kind of topical. I think the Daniel Craig era did a decent job enough without having to call out, you know, like the, the Bond movies in the 60s through 80s was all Russia, like oh, Cold yeah, War. Yeah. They didn't care. Theoretically, if we're going with a geopolitical angle, if they want to do that with like a geopolitical enemy, it'd be China. But they want to make money in China, so no one puts China as the enemy. Right, yeah. When that is something that would historically be done in a Bond movie, but they're not going to do that. But so I, the reason I think all that is I find it kind of amusing is the, the Game Boy James Bond game involves China. I'm like, well, that's, that's it's just kind of a little odd considering what the political landscape is now with China. And it, it just, I found that interesting and intriguing. I do like that era in the James Bond movies, though, between like GoldenEye and then like just before Daniel Craig's last movie where they couldn't use Russia really anymore because Russia was no longer the bad guys for us. So then mm-hmm. like Tomorrow Never Dies, it's like the media <laughs> or it's it's like that. that Honestly, yeah. that is that is that movie is the most bizarre combination of like forward thinking issues and also not at all. Because, yeah. And this isn't even conspiratorial. I'm not even saying the media does it on purpose, but the whole we, we, we talked about a bit off mic with like how social media and algorithms really push different narratives because of how it's just all computers running behind the scenes to drive engagement. Right. That's kind of what Elliot Carver does in Tomorrow Never yeah, Dies. Yeah. He's all about trying to drive engagement with his newspaper. But in a very 90s way, he's like, this, these are the pillars of my empire, newspapers, television, magazines and radio or something like that. All of which are dying mediums. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, that's another underrated game, I think. And another game that I love. Is that the one you start in a bank? No. That's World's Not Enough. It's a third-person shooter. It's You start in Russia. You're at an arms bazaar. That's right. You have to take photos. <laughs> you have to take photos of stuff at an arms bazaar to show that there's a nuclear warhead there. Then you have to stop it and blah, blah, blah. That game was originally meant to be a continuation of the movie's story, but they ended up scrapping that and just do an adaptation of the movie itself. It's not a bad game. It's a third-person shooter as opposed to a first-person, which was you know kind of put in as the standard by GoldenEye. So it didn't sell as well because of that. Yeah. Though the game developer, I think it's like Black Ops Entertainment developed it. They went on to do the PS1 version of The World Is Not Enough. Yeah. On a quick tangent, though, with Tomorrow Never Dies, that game has a, a very special place in my heart because I, I had a friend and I stayed over his house once and it was the first ever night that I stayed up all night playing a video game and that game was Tomorrow Never Dies and we beat that game in one night. <laughs> we just like chugged through it. <laughs> I'm simultaneously sorry that that was your first experience, but at the same time, right on. Man. Yeah, like, yeah. Great memory. I, I love I love the sequence when you're in, it's like the third or fourth level where you're inside the, the newspaper place and you can shoot guys mm. and they fall into the newspaper press it's like what the, this is a ps1 game what are they doing i mean it's straight from the movie though i do remember when the dude falls in into the movie they have like blood starts putting on, oh yeah onto the yeah newspaper things and i remember even watching it as a kid you know my parents wouldn't let me watch r-rated movies when i was a kid so any type of this i was like oh i'm an adult now i'm watching something violent and now isn't a but I, even back then something didn't stick out like didn't sit yeah. well with me because the dude falls into what's clearly like this really soft landing pad area with like no machinery in the middle of it then all of a sudden paper just starts shooting blood out of it i'm like yeah it didn't crush him right yeah like, i don't even <laughs> think those machines have the ability to crush somebody no no they 
definitely don't. Maybe if he went to the roller, but I think he would just get stuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would just stop. His his foot would just get stuck. That's it. Yeah, he'd just be in a lot of pain. He'd be back at work the next week. With World's Not Enough, though, I was playing the PS1 game for the first time last night. Have you played the PS1 game? Because I know you talked about talking about the N64 version. I have not. I know the different the different I know the differences between the two through research, but I, I've I've only played the N64 one. Yeah. Let me tell you, I have to now rewatch the movie because I can't remember how the bank sequence goes like i don't remember the so it's different though in the ps1 version versus the n64 version so in the n64 version you walk in uh you talk to the lady and she's like good afternoon sir can i help you the name's bond james bond ah mr bond we have a safety deposit box waiting for you and you go to the safety deposit box, you get your appointment card and the flashbang gun, you go and do it. In the PS1 version, you go up to the lady. May I help you? I'm here to see Lachaise. The name's Bond. James Bond. I'm sorry, Mr. Bond. He's currently unavailable. Perhaps you'd like to wait here for another representative? And you have to, like, try to figure out how to get into the bank. So you, like, go around and you have to, like, press a button so you can sneak past the, the metal detectors. And when you get past the metal detector, there's just a guard standing at the door. So you have to get past him and your options are you can stun him, which didn't really work for me, or you can punch him. And when I tried stunning him, he pulled out his gun and I was like, this is not going to go well. So I ended up punching him and you literally just shoot through your way to the bank manager. You get to the bank manager and Bond, like, walks in and he's like, hello, I have an appointment. And the bank manager's like, oh, Mr. Bond, here's this briefcase. <laughs> I'm like, what's happening? At least in the, the N64 version, it keeps it does a good job of giving you that stealth feel. Yeah. Because they do that again in a different mission when you're escaping Electra's villa. Yes, yeah. That was actually where I got stuck the most at as a kid. I yeah. could never finish that level. Because you only have so many sleeper darts. Yep. But the key is, if you want to do that, you get out the watch stunner and you stun the dude and you keep walking up to him and, and and essentially what happens is one hand with the wristwatch has the stunner and the other one's just punching him in the face. <laughs> so good. It's amazing. That that mission is actually so... The N64 version doesn't save to cart. You have to have a memory card. And our memory card was busted on our N64. So I would get to that mission and I would just die a bunch of times. I'd be like, I'm bored. And I'd turn off the game. And so I, like, for a while, my way of playing World's Not Enough was seeing how fast I could get to the Electra villain because <laughs> I, like... That's a tough level it's, it's super a tough really level, hard especially level. as a child when i was like mm-hmm. i wasn't really like reading the briefs and stuff like that i was just playing so i still don't read the briefs and then there was also world's not enough for the, the game boy advance that eventually did release that was a first person shooter for game boy advance which is definitely something that happens and it's an odd sort of something. So I have this game. I actually have it complete in box. Oh, nice. I don't think I've really tried it, but that's not the only first-person shooter game oh, no, for yeah, the Game yeah. Boy Advance. I was actually kind of bummed when I saw some YouTubers do videos on it. I was like, man, that's a really cool idea. Why don't people talk about it? And then I saw a bunch of YouTubers did it. I was like, damn it. I thought I was the first one in the door. Definitely was not. There is a port of Medal of Honor Underground from the PS1 oh, yeah. to the Game Boy Advance. It's awful it's one of the worst first person shooters i've ever played the textures so in because they can't render 3d obviously on a game boy advance like you can on a ps1 so it's just all flat walls and the textures change depending the texture scale depending on how far away or close you are to give you a sense of scale the problem is with that is that textures will just disappear into walls so like if you see a texture on a wall and there's like archways as you walk closer to it the art the texture 
can just will expand and there will be an archway right on the edge of like a corner and it will as you get closer the archway just disappears like you'll see it'll turn into like the top of the archway and then turn into another beginning it just disappears behind corners it's the worst scaling i've ever seen i commend the developers for doing what they did with how limited the hardware was but why were they forced to do this was it their idea it doesn't work it's awful my my favorite fact about first person shooters on the game Boy Advance is that one of the best first person shooters on the Game Boy Advance is Ballistics X vs. Sever, which is based on the movie Ballistic X vs. Sever, which is considered one of the worst movies of all time. So I love that one of the best first person shooters in the Game Boy Advance is a tie in to one of the worst movies ever made. I need to check this out now. Like, it is a solid game. It Apparently, Metacritic has it at a 72 out of 100, whereas wow. Rotten Tomatoes has the movie at a 0% with, like, 100-plus reviews. That I've never even heard of this film. It's, uh, yeah, it's Antonio, Antonio Banderas, Banderas and Lucy yeah. Liu. Yeah. I need to see this. And when we get into uh, more modern, eh, modern-ish, I mean, it's 20 years ago, James Bond games, um... There before Nightfire there was Agent Under Fire, which I played. I thought that was it's not as good as Nightfire, in my opinion. Agreed. It's it's better than you would expect. It was um the first Bond game on the new generation of consoles. It also had it had cool gameplay moments called 007 moments where essentially it would reward you with like a little cool graphic uh-huh. for doing something cool in, in the game that you didn't have to do. It, it it was it was almost kind of like a reward for exploring the level and trying different things that you might not have. The first one's kind of lame though like you see some people running up a hallway so you hide behind some boxes and let them run past yep. yeah, past that, you yeah. and then so you do that and you just hear Bennett, Bennett, <laughs> oh like, yeah whenever you do something like it's just like what you, you would do normally in a video game it rewards you like james bond points there's some stuff where it's like a little bit more interesting where like it'll be one of the car missions and you shoot like some wire on a crane which then drops a bar on a bunch of cars which causes an explosion and takes out the line of guys up above you so like that's a cool moment where like you would have to look around and see the environment around you and determine yeah. what you can and can't do and it encourages players to explore the environment that the game offers and it's, it's a really fun idea it's a fun way to reward players for exploration even if some of the rewards are for really dumb actions of oh, just yeah. hiding yeah. behind boxes and you know what I take it back. That's in the tradition of James Bond because, you know, in Dr. No, the, the movie, one of the first times you hear the Bond song, besides when Sean Connery says Bond, James Bond, is when he's just walking through an airport. We were talking earlier about Nightfire, but I didn't get to um, bring up the PC version of Nightfire. Have you played the PC version? No, I don't. Did I mention that at the panel? <laughs> I don't think I did. I didn't know there was a PC version. There is, and it's made by Gearbox Software, and it uses the Half-Life 1 engine. So the people who made Borderlands did a version of Nightfire with the Half-Life 1 engine. Yeah, and it's just as janky as you can expect, because think of all the stealth you can do in James Bond, and then try to think about how stealth is in Half-Life, because it's it's non-existent. Um, also, <laughs> no vehicle segments. They're replaced with very bad stealth segments. It's in the, the original... Yeah, first Half-Life engine. So, like, the Half-Life 
like Half-Life 1 engine. Not the Source engine, Not, but the yeah, Half-Life. Yeah, the Gold Source engine, which, uh, yeah, Gearbox made it, I think it was, it was only a few years after they made um, Opposing Force, which is the their like official DLC to Half-Life. It's just such a weird experience to play because I'm a huge Half-Life fan and I love the original Half-Life. I was playing it because I had heard about it through a YouTuber. I can't remember his name. He's a Half-Life YouTuber, but he played through it because it's same engine. And I was playing it myself and I was like, wow, this feels like a James Bond game if it didn't know quite how to be a James Bond game because it's so hard to stealth. Because the the stealth mechanics don't exist in the Gold Source engine. It's the enemies detect you by radius, I'm pretty sure. So like, <laughs> you cannot stealth in that game at all. <laughs> it's so obnoxious. It's also all of the um, cutscenes are not done in game as they were. So in the PS2, the GameCube version and such, the cutscenes are not pre-rendered they're in engine uh they're mm-hmm. all pre-rendered for this and they are bad they're just very bad cutscenes. um like they are they fmvs i mean they're fmvs but with cg actors uh Ooh. yeah yeah <laughs> very gross looking cg actors uh everyone's just very smooth looking and shiny and it's just it's not a fun experience but it's weird because it's it, it's still nightfire like it's the same map <laughs> that you're on in the first mission it's just not the same game what a weird thing i wonder if there's ways to play it still um so there is because people are weird on the internet there's actually a patch you so you can download the original files probably from like archive.org or something and there are patches that people made to get it to run on modern systems there's like i found a dedicated i don't know how legit the website was but i found a dedicated website that's like here's a patch to play this game on a modern system (laughs) that's so cool yeah apparently there's some like tie-in like people who like no one lives forever are also fans of the Nightfire PC game for some reason. And there's like some of the fandom is involved in trying to get Nightfire for PC to run properly. That's nuts. It is. It is because they're they're not on the same engine. So I don't know. I think there's just people who really like first person shooter spy games, which there's that new one that's coming out that we talked about, Seth, at one point. Agent 64 Spies Never Die. Ooh. It's its own game. So it's not trying to be a James Bond game, but it might as well just be a James Bond game. It's built in a more modern engine but designed to feel like GoldenEye. Or like Perfect Dark or something. Yeah, to the point where I'm pretty sure when they released the demo, I'm pretty sure the death animations were literally stolen from Perfect Dark. <laughs> They've changed them since, but the like earliest demo had identical death animations to uh, GoldenEye. Oh, it's Dark. not even out yet. You can wishlist it. There was a demo that they released and then they did a second demo. So hopefully they are going to release it sooner than later. Oh, I'm gonna buy the shit out of this. The pistol looks like the the DD the the DD pistol, the DD DOS. Oh, the I can't remember. The, all the James Bond Goldeneye guns are named differently than real life things. Well, like the club is named after Nintendo of America executive Ken Lobb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. And the uh the AK-47 is the KF-7 Soviet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I thought was a real gun for a very long time. I love the club and the the DD. The uh, I think the Club is like considered the worst gun in that game, but you mentioned at the panel that like they didn't have any hostilities toward Ken Lob at all. They've actually apologized to Ken Lob for like naming him after the one of the worst guns in the game, and uh, he loves it apparently. Depending on which mode you played, though, if you did one shot kill, the Club was the best gun because it had the widest spread. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we we always play license to kill, and then we either play proxies. 
or remotes and that's just how we yeah. play <laughs> it turns either to a horror well both times it's a horror game because when it's proxies you don't know when you're going to die until it's too late when it's remotes you just have to listen for one of us to start giggling <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite stories this didn't happen to me but proxies are one of the most fun things there but i love how unbalanced they are because like so i, th- I forget which level it was it might have been facility but uh I don't think it was. I don't think it was facility. It was some other. There was one with like a like a roof on it or something like that. I forget. But like you could come up to the roof and there's like doors on either side of the roof that take yep. you back down into a facility. I don't think it's the level facility, but it, you get what right. I'm saying. Well, my buddy would camp out up there with his proximity mines and just put them over each of the doors, and so that you just do one each. So as soon as you went up to try to get him, dead. And that happened to me. That was funny. But I remember something that didn't happen to me. I have a friend named John, and he was playing against his sister and his sister is really good at GoldenEye and so you know how in facilities sometimes you'll spawn in the ba- in the in vents vent, yeah. above the bathroom oh, yeah, and that's yeah, the yeah. only real way you can get up to the vents that I at least that I'm aware of yeah. but you have to empty into the bathroom well he dropped down into the stall and when he dropped in the entire back of the wall of the stall was just proximity mines oh yeah he yeah. <laughs> didn't stand a chance it was gone would instantly we, would we play yeah somebody inevitably because we play on facility and somebody inevitably walks out the vent knowing that eventually you'll die and spawn in there and then whoever dies and spawns has to either fall into the trap of the person or set off their own trap. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a mean thing to do but it's so funny. I've done it. I've proxy mined the vent and then died and ended up in the vent and then been like well I guess I have to die again. (laughs) Unless someone else did it before trying to proxy mine the vent and they die from yours. And you know the moment like when even even if you're not screen looking, which everyone does, uh, like you'll just hear Seth go, "Oh no!" when he spots in the vent, <laughs> just like sudden realization that he's like, "This is it. This is my death." This is my legacy. Now, the um the later James Bond games, I'm not super familiar with. I did play GoldenEye Rogue Agent. I liked that one. That one's a weird That's game. Better th- <laughs> it is weird. It's a James Bond fan fiction, and it's better than it's given credit for because it has the GoldenEye title. Everyone gives it crap. And it's not, I'm not saying it's like as iconic as GoldenEye is, but it's a solid enough game. And the fact that you don't play as James Bond, you play as an MI6 agent who gets kicked out of MI6 and yeah. gets hired to work for Goldfinger and Dr. No. This is a James Bond fan fiction. It's awesome. The first mission in the first like 10 seconds james bond dies like canonically in that game <laughs> like they, they they're on a helicopter together and james bond's like are you ready for this and they're going to like fort knox and then all of a sudden the helicopter crashes and you just see james's body like drop from the ceiling and get crushed and it's like yep. oh okay this is games going in a different direction than i was expecting you killed james bond yeah uh, yeah then your guy gets kicked out of mi6 because he's incompetent <laughs> he's like oh okay i'm the worst the worst spy ever i also want to shout out the version of from russia with love from russia with love is the second james bond movie and they made it into a game in 2006 i want to say and what's funny is that it's voiced by oh, sorry 2005 it's voiced by sean connery they didn't take old audio archives they it's a brand new recording of sean connery doing the voice of james bond for this game they also add two new bond girls 
roles that were not in the movie to this game, played by Maria Menounos and Natasha Bedingfield. Neither of them have much screen time, quote unquote, game time. I'm pretty sure Natasha Bedingfield is like in like a cold open mission. She's the daughter of some rich dude and you have to like help her. It, it doesn't make any sense, but she shows up for a second. I just found it really amusing. There's behind the scenes stuff that you that I watched on my game disc and they're talking about, oh, I'm so happy to be a Bond girl. I'm like, you're in it for five seconds. <laughs> like, come on. But once you're in it, you're in it for life. I don't know if I count this. <laughs> Why? It's like um, if you're an actor in Doctor Who, you're in Doctor Who forever. <laughs> That's like period. <laughs> like, doesn't matter what your role was. You're in, you are in Doctor Who now. So after From Russia with Love, we had our last kind of, yeah, the last James Bond game based on a movie that was coming out at the time, at least, which was Quantum, Quantum of Solace. Quantum of Solace. No, Solace. Um, that, that I, I actually played only the Wii version of that. It's pretty good, actually, but it's uh, the one version of it's developed by Treyarch, which are now more famous as the Call of Duty developers. Yeah. Or one of the many Call of Duty developers. It's not bad. I, I remember playing it on the Wii, and it was it was pretty solid from what I remember, but it, like I said, it has been a while. I actually have more experience with the last original Bond game, which is Bloodstone, which came out two years later. It's the last Bond game with an original, truly original story. Yeah. It's like a third-person cover-based shooter, uh, a little bit different than Gears of War, so it's not quite like a Gears clone like everything else, every other third-person cover-based shooter was at this time. Graphics are definitely not up to par for PS3 in 2010. Yeah. They look rough, not bad, but rough. But it, it had a really cool, like the main mechanic was that you would have like these three dead shot options and you, they would recharge. So like you could oh, cool. basically zoom in on a guy's head at will and then shoot. You only had three of those and then they would have to recharge. So there was like a cool down timer or you would have to like get something to be able to recharge it. I don't remember exactly. It's a pretty solid game. It also was ported to the Nintendo DS, which I, I have not played, but it's on the DS if you're curious. Yeah. As you know, I have it, but I haven't played it. I remember seeing this advertised, but I don't think I ever played it because I, I didn't get into watching the Daniel Craig stuff until like a little later because I kind of fell off of Bond for a bit and stuff. It's really good. And it's a shame because that was the last like I, the GoldenEye double the GoldenEye remake was apparently really good. And I feel like that was the game that overshadowed Bloodstone because I remember they came out like around the same time. In fact, according to Wikipedia, they came out on the same day, which is a choice <laughs> to make. Uh... It, it's, it's a bummer, too, because they really did a lot of cool stuff. And I believe the developer of GoldenEye 007 was Eurocom. Yeah. Eurocom it has done all of, in my opinion, all of the best James Bond games. They did Nightfire yeah. and they did The World Is Not Enough. However, they also did the last Bond game made, 007 Legends, which is generally considered not good. Uh, the, it's a cool concept, but apparently it wasn't very good. Yeah, I thought 007 Legends... So for those who haven't played the GoldenEye remake, it is not like it's 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 almost its own original story, but with GoldenEye. Mm-hmm. Daniel Craig instead of Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's interesting the way they did it. And I guess with 007 Legends, it felt like their logic was like, well, we did it with one movie. Let's do it with a bunch of movies, but put them all in the same mm-hmm. game. <laughs> it was it was kind of cool because you could you were playing as Daniel Craig, but you had a mission from each era of Bond actor. So you had a mission from a Sean Connery movie you had a mission from the sole george lazenby movie oh george he actually ran into a bit of hot water recently for some some uh, nasty comments he made but anyway that's a that's a different story it's funny he actually quit being james bond of his own choice the producers wanted him back but he got into the counterculture and thought james bond was too square and 
and uh, quit. And yeah. so he only got to do one Bond movie. And then comes good old Roger Moore, who's actually my personal favorite Bond now. And then Timothy Dalton, an era from Timothy Dalton, uh, or a movie from Timothy Dalton, and then the Pierce Brosnan era. And the, I think for Daniel Craig, it was going to be Skyfall as DLC, unless there was another Daniel Craig mission that was included. But you can't even get the Skyfall DLC anymore. That was uh, that Skyfall DLC is technically the last time a Bond movie is featured in a video game, like a Bond game, yeah. is in the DLC for 007 Legends, which is kind of a bummer because Skyfall is fantastic. That would have been an awesome movie to see it turned into a game. Yeah, it's interesting kind of what they did with it. And it's unfortunate that a lot of these modern, like especially 007 Legends, at least, uh, I mean, you can't get that anyway anymore because it used to be on Steam and then they pulled a whole bunch of those games from Steam. So you can't even technically legally get it unless you want to go hunt down the Windows copy or the, you know, the old console versions. The the home console versions, yeah. Which wouldn't be too expensive. Most people don't want them. Yeah, Yeah, they're they're usually in the bargain bins when when you're at the retro game stores. But still, it's... It's unfortunate that like the Skyfall mission is effectively lost media now because it's Skyfall mission is not lost media. It was included on disc for the Wii U version. What? Well, I'm gonna, I have a Wii U. Uh, the game was released to coincide with the 50th anniversary, and to choose this, the single player campaign includes one mission from each of the six actors' eras, and as uh, Josh went through, and Skyfall released as downloadable content for the Xbox 360, PS3, and PC, and included on disc for the nice. Wii U Nintendo version. Nintendo was like, no one's gonna download stuff from us. <laughs> and you can buy it pre-owned for like 25 bucks on uh, eBay. Not bad. There's certainly more expensive games out there. Oh my God, is there ever? But yeah, I mean, are you excited about Project 007? Very much so. Uh, have you played the Hitman remakes? I have. Thanks to Seth, because he gave me access to his uh, Steam account, and I played them through that, and then I got them on my own when I had money, too. I love Hitman as a series. I love all of them, except for one. The first one is great. The second one is better. Blood Money is a piece of resistance. Absolution is garbage, and the new ones are are, are pretty good. I've only played the first first remake of the new series the 2016 one and i loved it and so if, yeah. if the new yeah, bond game legit. is going to be in something similar to that i think it's a match made in heaven i i don't think bond will ever be like a murder simulator <laughs> no <laughs> But like with the with with but with the way they have their engine already set up, how they have this sandbox for you to play in and do all these unique stealth things, like you already are practically doing spy work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh yeah, hundred percent. It's just that the objective is murder. If you switch it over to James Bond, it could easily be the objective is to take a picture of something. Yeah. They could really do something with the way they do like the contracts mode, where they can like pick a random computer in the map and be like, go put a Q virus on that computer, sort of deal. Yeah, um, and that yeah. really changes the replayability. You know, making the game easy to visit again in in many sense. So we talked about an unauthorized James Bond game that occurred back in the eighties. Well, one occurred in the two thousands ish. I don't actually know when it was released, but per my interest of bootleg games, the game Judi Wuli, which was a bootleg platformer developed by Syntax, and the name is actually the Chinese name for Counter Strike. But the box art, title screen, and the main character's health bar all reference James Bond in 007. The health bar actually just says. 007 next to the health bar so it's syntax is kind of a weird little company they pretty much made like one engine and they reuse that engine over and over again for a lot of these bootleg games they make um and they just kind of slap on ips that are that they don't technically have the licenses for. that they 100 percent don't <laughs> and that they want to make some money off of they do have some good games that they've made they have a castlevania game they made called castlevania dx um that was pretty darn good it's a game boy color
color Castlevania game, completely unlicensed, but plays really well. Uh, Judo Wuli is not that. <laughs> it, is, it is a kind of messy platformer James Bond game, but it exists. So I like to mention that kind of weird stuff. That was something I was telling you off, Mike. I have to add to my panel because I had no idea it existed. Yeah, the world of bootlegs is wild and messy, and I love it. But to uh, get us into our retro rewind. So, Josh, you're the guest, and for anyone listening that is not familiar with it, our retro rewind, we're going to talk about some retro games. Usually we pick games for Seth and myself, but Josh does not know that. So we're just going to pick some random games that we played. <laughs> yeah, you've been keeping me in the freaking glove box for yeah, all Yeah, I know, these years. I know. We could have slipped you in some games, but too bad. <laughs> uh, anyway, what uh, what retro games have you been playing recently and how do they hold up? Uh, so I have been playing both for podcasting because, you know, as podcasters, I never really get a time to play anything that's not for it. Diablo 1 and Command & Conquer Red Alert. Command & Conquer Red Alert for a guest spot and then Diablo 1 for my own show, which that episode, a bit of a shout out. So I think by the time this episode comes out, it will be the very next episode out on my feed, assuming I can get all the editing done. In any case, um, Diablo 1, it's not bad, actually. It's balls hard. It is one of the most ruthlessly difficult games I've ever played. I was also playing the PS1 version, which I actually don't think helps a little bit, though it's a very good port. It's a very, very good port. But the issue is, is that I was playing the archer and on PC, you can just click the enemy you want to target and shoot. On PS1, you can't do that. You just kind of look in the general direction. And when you hit the attack button, the, the system auto attacks. So you can't focus down one enemy to take them out real quick, or you can't target the enemy with the lowest health to take them out you have to just hope you have to run and like spray and pray and then run and hope you can survive because the first like eight levels of it are pretty fair but there is a giant ramp up in difficulty in the in the like the at the eighth level eighth or ninth level where there's just enemies attacking you from range with magic and lightning bolts and it just drains your health within a fraction of a second because you can't even see them to dodge the lightning bolts until they're already on screen and then you're just dead yeah so it's a brutally difficult but really fun way to set up the world of Diablo. And my guest on that episode talked a lot about how he actually kind of prefers Diablo 1 to 2, even though 2 has all the fame and glory. I disagree, but I understood his point and I really enjoyed it. So that's a little bit of a teaser for that episode. Nice. And uh, Command & Conquer Red and Learn, it's still fun, man. I was playing the remastered. The remastered edition of those games are fantastic. Uh, the Command & Conquer remake is so good. Um, and I didn't grow up with it myself. I, I watched some people play it and I really enjoyed kind of like the I, I like RTS games I'm awful at them but I like RTS games and uh, it, it still holds up it's a fun game uh, it's I know it's got all the FMVs which is fantastic and uh -huh. all the cheesy like rewritten history like that that game begins with Einstein going back in time and killing Hitler I mean you guys did an episode on it I actually yeah, we listened sure to that did. one yeah. it's a wild game so I, I it still holds up in my opinion Seth what about you what's your retro rewind sure so i actually talked about it at the top of the episode but recently i was in new orleans and i wanted to play a game that took place in new orleans while i was in new orleans so while i was in the hotel i wanted to play a game that took place very close Live and to let the die. hotel the james bond there game. we go <laughs> there we go there we go but i thought of gabriel knight since the fathers which takes place 
in the New Orleans. In fact, you visit such iconic locations like Jackson Square, which I had visited myself. And uh, specifically, I was playing, however, the 20th anniversary edition, which came out in 2014, which is a bit shy of being uh, qualifying for a Retro Rewind specific era, since we are a 10 plus year up for the this segment. But the original was released in 1993. So I was in spirit playing a game that was for sure older than 10 years. In the game, you play as Gabriel Knight, who is the titular character, who is a book author. I don't think he's a very good book <laughs> author, but he is a book author that run, he runs a uh, a bookstore in New Orleans as well that nobody really goes to. And he lives in the room next door and spends a lot of his time sleeping in and having nightmares about Germany and werewolves, I think. It's a common thing to have a nightmare about, right? Don't we all? Yeah. You play through different days and it is a point and click adventure game that takes place about a murder that is thought to be like a voodoo murder um, and gets tied up into a mystery revolving around it. Though as Gabriel Knight learns going through the process of the game, voodoo is not really violent. It's just an offshoot of Catholicism and the practice is pretty benign and Gabriel discovers that as he goes through and learns about voodoo and that there's an actual cult that's actually doing the crimes that he discovers about that aren't voodoo. But you have to play the game to really find out about that particular mystery. We actually talked about about Gabriel Knight back in episode 106, which I think we talked about more in detail this this game. I don't know if we talked about two and three, which I was I don't know if we were on mic or off mic, but the first game is a point and click adventure game. The second game is an FMV game, and the third game is a 3D environment game. The one thing that's sad about the remaster version versus the original is they did switch a lot of the voice actors out, including Tim Curry for Jason Victor, and Jason Victor does his best Tim Curry voice acting, but it just doesn't hit the same. Tim Curry playing through it. So if you want the original, original experience, you have to play the OG 93 game, which to be honest, if you're okay with like LucasArts 93 graphics, then it's fine. <laughs> like it's, you don't need to play the remastered version. The remastered version, if you are a fan of the series, comes with a lot of additional concept art and con- like every single panel of the game has concept art for that game. And like Jane Jensen, who was the author behind the series, a lot of her takes and how she developed it and all that stuff. Um, so it's, a, it's definitely a game for the fans, but if you want to just play it to check it out, I would recommend just playing it through the 93 version, which is available on GOG and other places. But yes, Gabriel Knight. I love the series, all of them, each one individually for a different reason. Well, recently for my Retro Rewind, I decided to revisit the game. I actually visited for the first time, Shining in the Darkness, which is a Sega Genesis game developed by Climax Entertainment back in 1991. And it's the first game in the Shining series, which I really like the Shining Force games. Seth and I had a copy of Shining Force 1 and 2, and I always thought the music in that game was very fun i liked the gameplay a lot and i always had kind of a i don't know tactical rpgs appeal to me in a different way than turn-based rpgs do a lot of the same gameplay mechanics but i feel like mm-hmm. with the, when you get the tactical level you kind of the gameplay moves a bit faster which i always really like and uh unlike those games though this is not a tactical rpg it is actually a turn-based dungeon crawler um which is kind of a unique little difference between the other three when this is, come, is the first one um in the game you're tasked with traveling a maze to find a kidnapped princess and it's a pretty decent little dungeon crawler crawler I, I didn't have any complaints about it it has some really really colorful sprite work uh, one of the fun things is like the first thing you do when you leave the castle after the king's like go save the princess is you go to a town and you can go into a um tavern and it's just all the artwork that you see in there of all these people that are like gathered around talking about stuff and you can hover over each person to talk to them and uh, there's like a horseman standing at the at the counter not like a centaur like a man that's just as a horse like standing upright at the counter yeah. there's like a 
gnome sitting in the back like planning something and it's just it's got this fun artwork this these fun characters in it and the gameplay itself i mean it's a dungeon crawler so it's kind of what you'd expect from a dungeon crawler but yeah overall fun little title for the sega genesis and it won't break the bank if you'd want to pick it up it is probably the least expensive of the shining force games so fun fact uh Diablo was originally going to be a turn-based dungeon crawler before they went RTS. The designer wanted it to be that because he liked the idea of like, especially with like permadeath stuff, since there's permadeath when it's turn-based, every decision, every turn that you take is very intentional and you have to be, take everything so seriously. And then he got outvoted by the people after the success of Warcraft and it turned it into a real-time game as opposed to a turn-based. And Diablo is as we know it now because of that vote, which I think is a cool fact yeah yeah no absolutely cool that's our retro rewind so before we get into our little section to close things off josh where can people find you and uh where can people listen to you well first off thank you so much again for having me let me out of the you know the glove box first but yeah no, of course uh, but no no thank you for having me on the show this was a lot of fun if you want to listen to still loading you can find it on apple podcast google podcast spotify all that good stuff it's still loading podcast over 200 some odd episodes so there's lots of stuff to choose from not all of them are good but you know your mileage may vary um you can follow me on twitter because i refuse to call it the other place <laughs> instagram blue sky threads at still loading pod on all of them twitch at still loading pod at still loading podcast on youtube so yeah you can follow me at all those different places and yeah that's it that's where you can find me well it was great having you on josh uh seth do you want to take us out sure so thanks for listening everybody you can find us wherever you listen to your podcast you can also follow us on all the social medias twitch instagram and facebook at classic gaming brothers twitter and blue sky at cg brothers pod and we appreciate the listening check out josh's stuff his links will be down below in the show notes and also probably in the <laughs> facebook post and um and then maybe we'll release him from the glove box <laughs> in the future which sounds horrible it sounds like you're a prisoner right? guests guests are guests are prisoners here they just can't leave <laughs> there's you're a not difference a prisoner, but you're not allowed to leave no it's not that you you're not allowed you to physically leave. can't there's no door <laughs> we're all trapped yeah, we're here all, we're all trapped here. <laughs> once you're in you're not we're all trapped no. here so i i guess i made myself a little room in the glove box in the car in here yeah 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 that's fine i picture the car actually being in the studio not actually because we can't afford to park in boston uh, <laughs> um, but, but yeah so that's that's it give us the follows like our episodes and um yeah uh zach is there anything i'm missing don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother don't play games like either of my brothers i've been seth i've been zach i'm still somehow josh and we've been the classic gaming brothers and, and josh, josh. That's, That's right. right.